0: Welcome to the Commons Cast. We're glad to have you here. We hope you find something meaningful in our teaching this week. Head to commons.church for more information. It is good to be together here on this first Sunday in Lent. It's so good. Earlier this week, we had both parishes together for Ash Wednesday to be marked with Ash as we start our journey towards Easter. It was so nice. And I'm going to say a little bit more about Lent as we get going in the message today. But if you happen to be newer in our community, I wanted to draw your attention to our journal, which you can pick up for free right there at the back. On page 16, there's this bit of a description there about how here at Commons, we try to keep Time with the church around the world, attending uh, to these ancient rhythms that shape our liturgy and our theology. And many of you know that this cycle begins with the first high time of feasting and reflection during Advent, leading us to Christmas. And just this past week, we've entered into the high season of Christian time that leads us toward Easter Sunday. And we mark these periods with various practices. We host thematic prayer events, like the one I mentioned to you on Taze, that's gonna happen this weekend. We host worship nights for our parishes to come together and reflect and come to the table. And then in our liturgy, our prayers often are shaped by a more intentional introspection. And not unlike the bags under our eyes, we come to realize that, hey, I think the seasons are changing. And we have had a good start to the year here. This past few weeks, we've been with the Apostle Paul and been attending to these sort of challenging and stimulating texts as we've worked our way through a few more chapters and set ourselves up to actually finish our journey of reading through Paul's letter to the Romans together for the last time. We're gonna come to that again next year. And just this last week, The themes of the passage really struck an interesting chord for me, because where before, as we've worked through Romans, Paul's theology and spirited arguments sometimes can leave us searching for ways to get into the text. We saw in Romans 12, where we were last weekend, and as we finished it up, that Paul, we started to see that for him, the whole conversation revolves around how different kinds of people can accept each other and grow together. And how the sweeping work of God in Jesus isn't at all separated from the ins and outs of starting community and learning to use our bodies to worship with our affection and our attention that we offer to each other. And then also, as we learn to be more gracious with those who are just different than us. And then, how we piece together a faith like this with the threads of all of our lives. This is something that we all do. How wisdom and beauty teach us how to be human or more specifically, teach us how Jesus was human. And if you missed any of those messages in Romans, obviously we wanna make sure that you go and check those out if you can, because today we are turning the page and we're gonna pick up the words of Jesus in his parables of grace. But before we get into that, let's pray together for a moment now, join me. Loving God, you are the artist of creation and of our hearts and you, are forming us even in this moment. And we ask, would you teach us to not avoid the difficulty that's around us, and not be numb to the conflict that's present to us in our communities and in our own hearts, but instead, would you teach us to stay open to the blessing that comes in the rhythms of honesty and confession and repentance? Help us to be awake to the hunger that's deep inside of us and to live with simplicity and generosity, shaping relationships and homes and spaces of beauty that reflect your goodness. We ask, too, that you would guide us as we take up these words and texts this morning. We pray in the name of Christ, our hope. Amen. All right. As I hinted a second ago, when we start the season of Lent, what we do is we step in line with practices that have been done faithfully for centuries. And when we do this, we're not just repeating empty rituals or going through the motions. No, what we're doing is we're sitting down at the fire of faith and we're stoking the coals a little bit so that the world can be a little bit brighter, even if only in our little communities, or in our own homes, or even in the quiet of our hearts. And most of the world's Christians do this through renewed practices of prayer, confession, and generosity, as we've already mentioned. And those might not sound like a big deal, but here's why I think they matter. Because with these specifically Christian ways of marking time, engaging these seasons along with their themes, we don't go a year without living the rituals and cycles of Christ's life and death and resurrection, without thinking about the patterns of grace that define the hope that we have, and without coming back again to reinforce the habits of faithfulness that at least I have a tendency to forget from time to time. Which brings us to Ash Wednesday, which we actually celebrated this last week, the starting point of Lent. And in the northern hemisphere, this often corresponds to the thawing and the melting of spring, to the lengthening hours of sunlight, which is really just what the word lent means, lengthening or springing or stretching. And I love what Harry, Henry Nowen observed about this season. He was a priest in the Catholic church and he talked about how the, the season mirrors this time when winter and spring wrestle for dominance, kind of like this parking lot out here, if you know what I mean. And what that meant to Henry is how Lent marks the time when we acknowledge the internal battles that we fight in our efforts to be healthy and whole and awake, pushing back against our selfishness and our fear and our apathy. And we also acknowledge the places around us where justice is grappling with injustice and where peace is battling with violence and where life is wrestling with death every day. And one of the ways that Lent helps us to be faithful in that wrestling is that it calls us to be honest about where we are and about who we are which is this theme that actually pops up a lot in the scriptures with one example being this famous passage in Isaiah 58. And in that passage, God's talking to God's people and they are a little indignant because they have been fasting and they have been worshiping. They've been doing the kinds of things that we tend to associate with being good insiders, but God's people are bothered because God doesn't seem to be noticing and God fills them in. He says, oh, I've noticed your worship. But I saw how you mistreated the people who serve you on the same day that you were worshiping. And I saw how your efforts to be religious ended up in competition and tension with each other. And all that's happening in that story from Isaiah is that God's asking the Hebrew people to come clean, to be honest about their condition, and to stop with the pretense, which is something that we can all hear today. That Lent is the season where you can give up the charade of being a good Christian. God actually invites you to do that. Because you'll only ever be as faithful in and to the degree that you can be honest about the ways that you fail. And to grasp this a little bit more, sometimes you have to zoom out a little bit. You have to get out of the details of your own life to see who you're really becoming and where you're headed. And that's what Ash Wednesdays for. The traditions of that day give us a chance to take this wide angle lens to our life. Or if you think about using Google Maps to pinch the map over and over and over again until you go from being in this building to being in Inglewood to being in central Calgary to being in Calgary, you guys get the picture, I'm sure. Or another way of thinking about it is when you're hiking and you're on the trail and you're climbing, you're scrambling, maybe you become disoriented, you're unsure just where you are. And then you break out onto a ridge. And you can look back on that ridge all the way back to the trailhead, to where you started from. And you can see where you're trying to go. That ridge is Ash Wednesday. In one way, on that day, we're invited to look back at the last few days or months or years, all that's going on in our lives. And we're invited to look ahead six weeks to the hope we have in Easter but then, too, we're invited to look back at all the way back to the beginning of our life. Where we can see the detours and the misturns and the easier ways that we could have taken. And maybe we can see the brokenness in our own story. And we're invited to look ahead to the end of all of our lives. How this road we hope to travel leads us all to death. Into ash, but then ultimately how it leads us back to God. And the point of this season as it gets going is that we can let go of the pretense. We can just be who we are and we can stand where we stand. And the limits of our lives and our bodies are marked with ash as we start. Maybe that was true for some of you. It was so nice to be together with many of you. But as we're here in this moment, maybe as we start Lent, some of you might feel tired or broken, cynical, worn out on the road of life. Still so far to go, not just in our living, but then just even these few weeks until Easter. And it's here, from this vantage point, where we can see our lives with honesty And there, the words of Isaiah can come to us. And like God spoke to his Hebrew friends and people in Isaiah 58, God can speak to us. And God says, Do you want to be faithful? You want to make a difference? You want things to change? Well, then loose chains of injustice, God says in that passage. And then he gets really practical. He says, Ease the load of the weary, share your food, shelter those who need shelter, clothe the naked. Which if we tune our ears to hear that, it sounds an awful lot like Jesus. Or more specifically, Jesus, when he gave his first sermon, when he walked back into his home synagogue, and like a boss, he says, bring me the scroll of Isaiah. And so they do, and he opens it, and he reads, and he says, the Spirit of God is on me to proclaim freedom to captives and good news to the poor. Freedom for prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, and to be clear. Jesus had some ideas about how he was going to do those big things, and we can all read the Gospels for the pointers, but we also need to attend to the stories Jesus told for some clues too. The point is if Ash Wednesday zooms us out and takes us up high on the ridge of life, shows us how to go in the right direction, then Lent is the great zooming in journeying with Christ and his first sermon into the kind of life that helps all things to become new. And this is why during Lent, confession, prayer, fasting, generosity, these are things that are encouraged by the church everywhere. Because if we want to be like Jesus, then trying to pray and giving up things that bring us pleasure or comfort and giving our resources and strength away, those are great places to start. But guess what? You and I cannot do it all. So maybe for you, it just needs to start with getting honest about where your heart is and about what you really want. Maybe you can find some space to confess with a friend if that's what you need. Or maybe just making more time for quiet and reflection and prayer these next few weeks is going to be a good choice for you. Or maybe you need to address some of your appetites for food, for people's attention, for technology, for success, for security. And making the choice to fast during Lent, to address those things, maybe that'll be something that can be helpful for you. Or maybe you're in a space where you have things that you can give to address needs around you. Maybe you you know somebody who needs a new coat, something as simple as that. Or somebody who needs some help with some repair in their home. Maybe there's a cause in Calgary that you can give financially to support. Or maybe you could consider giving your time and your strength to confront injustice and systemic issues by volunteering with a group that's doing this kind of work all the time. The point is that we can all choose to do something simple. To travel with Christ in Lent towards the death of ourselves, the death of our appetites, maybe, but also the death of this illusion that being faithful means being perfect, because we are always in hope of resurrection. Which brings us to the parables of grace and this conversation we're going to have over the next few weeks. And here at Commons, we actually spend some time every year with the words of Jesus, taking time to look at a body of teaching or some stories about Jesus. And we have done this before during Lent as a way of paralleling Jesus' story with our own move toward death and resurrection to Easter. And before we jump into this this year's work on parables, I wanna note that we've actually looked at other parable sequences if you're interested in more of this content or some of this sparks curiosity for you. And Jesus on Judgment and Sermon by the Sea are are the series that you'll find these things in our podcasts and YouTube archives if you're curious. And obviously we'd love if you found those things to be helpful even as we move through Lent this season together too. But today we focus on parables of grace where we're gonna look at this series of stories and images taught by Jesus and in the gospels they actually fall right in the middle of Jesus's ministry. Between this story about him feeding 5,000 people beside the sea where he fi- and when he finally makes his way to Jerusalem. And I've thrown the rough location breakdowns for you up there on the screen. And part of why it's important to note that this happens in the middle is because these stories illustrate a kind of self-awareness in Jesus. Where early in his ministry he's trying to distinguish himself from the teaching of other rabbis. He tells stories about farmers sowing seeds and nets being pulled through the sea. And these stories show how early on, Jesus thought of his work as sparking a revolution that looked different than what people expected. It had arrived, but it was a hidden revolution, he said at times. And Jesus was just trying to get people to see it. And what we start to see in the parables of grace that we're gonna look at now, is that Jesus seems to have come to grips with what it was gonna cost him and his friends to embody the things that he had been teaching. Which is why we start to see in these stories, the themes of death and resurrection start to crowd the story. Or more specifically, Jesus just starts talking about his own death. And as a result, the stories change. And at least in part, this is something that we need to take with us into this series. This idea that the stories we tell, tell us something about where we are and about who we're becoming just like they did for Jesus. And I want you to think about the stories you tell about your own life, whether it's in your own mind or when you're talking with others. Maybe when you think about stories you tell, they're about where you've come from or what you've survived or what you used to do or be. Or maybe you hesitate to tell stories about your past because there's pain and shame back there. Or maybe you're captive to the chapter you're in right now, and you find yourself telling stories to others or in your own mind or on your social media profile about how tired you are and about how things need to change and about how there's some part of your work or your environment or your relationships that just isn't quite right. Or maybe you tell stories located in the future all of your imagination and energy is working towards some to be determined reality. Maybe you find yourself saying, if only a lot. Or maybe there's just some new dreams and some aspirations filling your mind and there's hope in your soul to work towards those. The truth is, is that I can't tell you what it means for you to be telling the stories that you do right now but I wonder if you can hear the invitation this Lent to pay attention to them. And in part because as we journey with Jesus and hear his stories, we too can come to grips with where we are and where we're headed. And also because parables have the, a particularly potent quality as biblical literature, where as we look at Jesus as Robert Capon writes, The device of parabolic utterance is used not to explain things to people's satisfaction, but to call attention to the unsatisfactoriness of all their previous explanations and understandings. Which just means that at some level, Jesus told these parables that we're gonna read as a way to help his audiences see that the stories they'd heard And the answers they'd been given and the truths that they had adopted, those weren't good enough. But then too, Capon stirs us to consider how Jesus' parables might help us hear a better story about who we are. Learning to hear the melodies of grace through all of the lament and the noise and the dissonance that we have to put up with every day. Which brings us to our text for today. The parable of the lost sheep. And unlike most of the stories we're going to look at over the next few weeks, this story is actually found in a couple of locations in the Gospels, which is important. So here's the story first from Matthew's perspective. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly, I tell you, he's happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that didn't wander off. And in the same way, your father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. And now I wanna read you Luke's version because Luke tells it this way. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And then he calls his friends and his neighbors together and he says, rejoice with me. I've found my lost sheep. And I tell you that in the same way, there is going to be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need to. Now, At first glance, these stories look really similar. You've got a sheep wandering off, which is to say you have a completely normal sheep. And you've got someone who owns a few sheep who either can't count right or who loses track of their sheep from time to time. And in both stories, the shepherd leaves 99 and goes to get the one. The catch is that the two gospel writers put this story in very different contexts. Matthew puts it in this broader conversation that Jesus is having with his friends and disciples. And his disciples are bantering over who is gonna be number two once Jesus takes over. And Jesus hears them and corrects them by calling a child over and telling his friends, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you're never gonna enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever welcomes such a child in my name welcomes me, Jesus said. And as you keep reading, Jesus warns his friends that they better not make things difficult for those who are like those little children, those who believe in him. See that you don't despise these little ones, Jesus says. And then he tells the sheep story. Which ends by pointing out that like a shepherd looking for one sheep, in the same way, your father in heaven isn't willing that any of these little ones should perish. In effect, saying to his friends, your parenting God looks after the little ones. You guys better look out for each other. And we're going to come back to that in a second because Luke does something totally different than this. Luke 15 begins this way, now the tax collectors and the sinners were gathering around to hear Jesus and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were muttering, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them and then Jesus tells the parable and the parable ends by pointing out that like a shepherd who finds one lost sheep and brings it home to a supportive community in the same way, there's more rejoicing in heaven over one who repents than over 99 who don't need to. In effect, Jesus saying to the religious leaders, heaven rejoices over lost people being found way more than over religious people following the rules. Now, what's clear is that Jesus is using this story to correct. In Matthew, he does this by pulling a little child into his group of friends who want to be the greatest And what's important to realize actually is that in Jewish culture, as in many, children are marginalized. Seen as not being part of the community yet. And in fact, in Jewish society at that time, Jewish men were the only ones that mattered. Anybody who was on the margins, women, children, non-Jews, they were second tier, they didn't count. So when Jesus puts this child in the middle of a group of Jewish men arguing who gets to be the best and says, you need to be like this, Jesus is reordering their understanding of what God's kingdom looks like and what advancement in it looks like, which is similar to how he corrects the religious leaders in Luke. Who thought that Jesus' integrity and his message were being compromised because he was eating with those who were cultural traitors and those who couldn't follow the rules? Ethnic and religious failures, these people Jesus was hanging out with. But guess what? This all is correction that Jesus is offering, but he wraps it in irony. Because Jesus asks in both these passages, he says, rhetorically. Suppose you had a hundred sheep and one gets lost. Don't you leave the whole lot and go look for the lost one? To which the audiences would be saying, nope. What's one sheep? Besides, sheep are stupid. They're weak and they're a pain to look after. That one keeps wandering off. It gets what it deserves. I got to focus on the ones I've still got. But then, For Jewish men thinking they held the top spot in the culture and Jewish leaders thinking that they were the ones that God preferred, Jesus keeps going with the story. No, seriously, Jesus says, the shepherd in the story leaves the 99, the ones that he already has. He goes and finds the sheep, the lost sheep. The lost sheep brings the shepherd joy more than the ones who didn't wander off. Heaven parties over lost sheep being found way more than it does over good and obedient sheep. And you can almost hear how quiet the audience would have been. Because in this parable, Jesus was telling a story about God that changes everything. That God, as this peculiar good shepherd, would rather find lost sheep then brag about the sheep that God already has. That God prefers little ones and sinners. But that's just part of the grace that's embedded in the story because Jesus was telling a story about us that changes everything too. But its power is in what Jesus doesn't say to his friends and the religious elites. Because if you look closely, as Capon notes, there's no moral teaching in this tale. There's nothing that implies that small children and tax collectors and sinners need to up their game. Or in the imagery of the story that that sheep should have done something different. It should have been a better sheep. It shouldn't have gotten lost. And by implication, the story is that we shouldn't get ourselves lost, no. The point of the story isn't that if we abide by certain moral standards, or that if we happen to belong to the right group of people, or that if we come to believe the right things about God, that God will rescue us then. Nope, this is a story that acknowledges that we are forever and always getting lost, and that our stories get away from us. Maybe we're naive and we wander off and we make some mistakes. Or maybe we're stubborn. And we keep trying to do things the way we think is best to our detriment. Or maybe we're just weak and we get ourselves into situations we can't handle. Or maybe we're actually victimized and we're broken in faraway places. We get lost. And this is a story about how long before we can or want to or are even able to do anything to change that, God is determined to find us. And in telling that story, Jesus was determined to make sure we understood that our lostness or anybody else's could never keep us from getting home. All of us found and carried and kept and rejoiced over by a God more gracious than one we'd ever heard of before. And if that sounds too good to be true. If you're unsure of how to reconcile this kind of story with the kinds of gods you've heard of, talked about, or what the scriptures say, I pray that you will find the courage to listen to Jesus this Lent, journeying with him and straining to hear these rumors of grace. Let's pray. God, We find ourselves again in this season where we are asked to zoom out and see our lives for all that they are, to see the places that we've been, to see the brokenness in our stories, and to look ahead to some of the challenge and darkness that we all face as our lives come to an end. But then we are in a season where we are asked to zoom in and see how redemption is found in lives lived and in rhythms of transformation that come to us in simple prayers and in confessing with honesty and in being generous. And we ask that you would be with us and that you would help us to be aware, even as we talked about, the, of the stories that we are telling about ourselves. We need to see our stories clearly because we need our stories to be made new. Maybe some of us have regret and shame in our past. Maybe some of us are captive to the present moment. Maybe some of us are looking ahead and aren't sure about what steps to take next. This season offers us hope that we don't have to be perfect and give us courage to hold that well, I pray. And we pray as well, God, would you give us grace to hear these stories, stories that you tossed at your audiences in the hopes that you would change the way that they thought. We ask that you would do the same for us, helping us to reimagine our faith, not as staying safe and not as having to fight our way back to you, but learning to trust that you have a radical preference for the lost and that you will always come to find us. This is our hope and we pray in the name of Christ. Amen.